Since 1931, Financial Executives International has been the leading advocate for the views of corporate financial management. Its more than 10,000 members hold policy-making positions as chief financial officers, chief accounting officers, controllers and treasurers at companies from every major industry. And FEI enhances its members' professional development through peer networking, career management services, conferences, research, and publications. Join FEI today to network with key influencers, understand emerging issues, advocate for corporate finance, and boost your career opportunities. Both individual and corporate membership options are available. Go to www.financialexecutives.org and click on Become a Member, or look for the link in this episode's show notes. Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the FAI Weekly Podcast. Anyone that has worked on IPO knows the amount of preparation, diligence, and detail that's needed for a successful move into the public markets. But a combination of economic headwinds and a SPAC-induced hangover have meant the pipeline has been cut to a slow drip over the past 18 months. 2024 is looking a bit more promising, and that means financial executives tasked with preparing for a transition have already begun planning the work to be done. In this episode of the FAI Weekly Podcast, we speak with Oracle NetSuite's Ranga Bodla and Sam Levy, discuss the outlook for IPOs in 2024 and the tools financial executives will need to be prepared. Thank you for, for joining us today. Uh, I think it's going to be an industry conversation, especially about uh, the, the IPO market. And, and I know a lot of people are trying to figure out what's happening with it in 2024, especially what's been happening over the past couple of years. So maybe we can start off with a little introductions, a little bit of background about where you come from and, and what your roles are. Roger, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Ron Gabola, uh, Vice President of Field Engagement and Marketing for, uh, for Oracle NetSuite. Been that suite for about uh, 14 years and support um, all of our go-to-market uh, uh, efforts. And uh, Sam Levy, Senior Vice President of uh, Growth and Operations for Oracle NetSuite, and been with the company now 10 plus years, and looking after all the go-to-market activities, whether it be customer acquisition, uh, customer upsell, and our channel and partner community. Great. So yeah, I wanted to start the conversation you know, about the IPO market, and it's. I'm sorry. If I understand it correctly, it's been a pretty choppy couple of years, and and you know, given the pandemic and um, just what's been going on in the capital markets, there has been sort of a consistent narrative when it comes to the IPO. But please correct me if I'm wrong. But um, what what's your anticipation for a comeback in 2024? What are you seeing? And um, you know, what are those what are the prospects going into the new year? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I- as we look at it and think back 10 years ago, we ran into this bull market all the way up to 2021, where more and more companies were seeking funding, had the chance to go public uh, and take money either through a SPAC or through a direct listing. And that all kind of went up through 2020, 2021. And then what we kind of look at it now, I'll call it the IPO winter. 
where um, the, the offerings for a number of reasons have kind of slowed almost to a snail's pace. And I think what we're starting to see now in 2024, as we go forward this calendar year 2024, is companies planning because of such of the, the drought, if you will, or this winterization, that 2024 companies are looking now to re-enter the public market. And so that is going to spur a whole series of conversations of readiness. And what we found uh, through that piece of it is that there's a lot of pent up demand. IPO and access to capital is becoming ever more. There's a, a lot of dry capital sitting on the sidelines. And so companies are now looking at, do I dust off my old strategy? Do I put a new strategy in place where it's zero to six months, six to 12, 12 to 18 months to enter the market? And now they're looking for strategies to adopt or to get ready for that next move. What are your thoughts? I would just, you know, we just came out of a uh, an IPO summit that was, that was been going on for 11 years now. And the theme of, of this year's summit was embracing optimism. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's similar to what Sam just described about this the last few years been rough. They've been very, you know, very few IPOs, um, not just tech IPOs, very few IPOs in general. And so I think there's there's cautious optimism. Um, a lot of folks are, are, are thinking, okay, what do I need to do? And how does that look different as well? Um, in 2021, the metrics or the, or the KPIs that people were being judged on when they went public, very different to what the metrics are gonna be judged on now. Um, just like all companies out in the public markets are all being judged on profitability, how efficient are they at, uh, and, and how are they growing? And, and those are, it's not just about top line growth, but top line and bottom line growth. And that's very different than when companies went out in say 2021. And so I think that's also something that you're seeing changing. A lot of changes have happened. A lot of companies have become much more efficient um, in preparation for that. And they're, you know, they're kind of looking at it and say, hey, maybe I can go out later this year, maybe I go next year, but they're they're making steps now to make sure they've got the right hygiene in the organization. I mean hygiene in terms of the finance organization, in terms of communication readiness, in terms of technical readiness, all the steps that they need to to be a more uh, mature organization that when it makes sense to go public, they can go public, but that they've got the the, the infrastructure in place to do so. Yeah, here's an interesting point, though. We're, we are in the middle of Wall Street and, and uh, you know, the mark, financial markets here in New York. And within, you know, 24, 25, I think there's a couple of things that you're seeing in the last couple quarters. One, the stock market is back and you're seeing this rise within the stock market and stock appreciation, which has been great. Um, two, is inflation into a controllable macro level at two or 3% for the foreseeable future. And I think businesses and investors are starting to see that as a positive momentum. Um, is the Fed going to reduce rates? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be at the same clip as what they keep talking about as the last increases, but they're going to be uh, that piece of it. Um, you know, I think last lastly, I think is most companies have been itching of all those things being done at the macro level. Is it time for me to do something different? Mm. Or the time we need to re-enter the market and re-enter this conversation of where do I get capital? I want to dive a little bit into you know that sort of like, for lack of a term, winter in the IPO market that everybody's gone through. It's sort of like the political is shut down significantly, starting back up, and you have to. Can you describe a little bit what specifically is different? You need to think about 
now than it did in you know 2020 or 2021. That you know, from the perspective of you're in the finance suite, um, they're ramping up to think about an IPO. How is that narrative different than it say than it was two years ago? It's the overall uh, narrative that's changed about being much more efficient. You know, we we were at a a growth at all cost mentality in 2021. We're no longer in a growth at all cost mentality. We are very much in an efficient growth mentality where uh, in the investors, private and public, want to know that the company is being efficient with their spend. They want to know that you're not just going to do top line growth, you're going to do the bottom line growth. And, you know, if instead of getting, you know, the, the, they, they're willing to sacrifice a little bit of top line revenue growth to make sure I get the bottom line growth, but they want both. And I think that's a real, a real difference. It's, it's, you can't just spend your way to, to growth. You've got to, you've got to be much more cautious and efficient with your investors money. Well, and this comes up, I think a lot with the finance office, including the CEO's office about what is the first conversation generally is around the first P, which is profitability. Mm-hmm. And so that has become the, almost the number one driver for a lot of things is how profitable. Was that, that not a conversation to It or may have not. Many times, sometimes not. It, sometimes it's not. It is definitely in the top two or three always. Yeah. But it's interesting enough is the profit margin discussion comes up first. <laughs> then might be coming into productivity. And so the whole rule of the 40 piece of it is, can I be more productive or more efficient? And am I, am I growing that piece of it? And am I doing it profitably? Right. So this is kind of the real interesting piece of it is before maybe you were rewarded at 30% growth and maybe 10% profit to maintain right. your rule of 40. Um, are you going to be a 2020? Does it need to be the inverse of more profit and less growth? And so I think that's the conversation for a lot of CEOs and CFOs today is what is our balance? What's our model and what's our priority? Yeah. So what does that mean for NetSuite customers specifically? Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're, you know, they're, they're going to have to shift their mindset from, you know, just talking about growth to reporting and, and putting an arrow around profitability. What are you hearing from customers today about um, what they need uh, in order to go public and, and, and bring that information to market or bring that information to investors? I think it's a, a lot of it is is the, the the common theme or thread is really about automation of mm-hmm. what they're doing. I mean, they, there's all these threads get very related. Um, one, talent is still very difficult to, to find, right. particularly in the finance space. Even if I've got headcount I can hire into finance, I can't find people. I can't find skilled people to hire. And so um, a lot of a lot of companies are looking at technology as a way to bridge that gap. Um, talent management has been a hot topic, been probably the number one, two topic in the finance suite probably the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're they're saying, well, if I'm if I'm gonna be there's gonna be more to ask the finance department. The only way to solve it is through technology. So that's that's one of the conversations that's happening. Um, the second is um, related to everyone's favorite buzzword of AI. Right. Um, but the thing about AI is the best AI comes from the best data. 
Um, you know, if you, if you don't have really good data, you don't good data maturity, you're not going to get good AI. And so that's one of the conversations we're having with folks around how you make sure that you've got a really good solid data strategy, a data maturity strategy. You're thinking about how that impacts um, everything that you're doing. And that really becomes the, the tip of the sphere, so to speak, um, in, in making sure you get the strategy there. Yeah, I, I think it's those are the systematic approaches. I go back to just the business models. You know, one thing, if we look back uh, the last three or four years with NetSuite customers, we had close to 275 customers enter an IPO or SPAC, and, which is enormous. Um, some were ready, some weren't. And I think this time around, it's more companies are discussing is, is not the market ready are we ready as a company mm-hmm. I mean do we have our processes defined do we have the systems in place do we have the people do we have the business model the market is one way to accelerate it but let's not time it on the market let's time it when the company is ready uh, the good example of that is a small mom and pa operation that started with you know a, a restaurant and this was a really interesting story they went public last year mm-hmm. but they were 10 years 20 years ago they were bringing greek food through a deli to market and they had a great customer following very much small local midwestern kind of uh, food outlet and their idea was wow some investors came in and saw this as a great opportunity of bringing group greek food to the masses and so what they started with is how do i get out of just being in a market and open up a storefront opened up one storefront and the next piece of it but their following was great greek food for everybody and i think that kind of piece of it is they weren't timing a market they were timing this experience where individuals wanted to eat healthy they loved greek food and there was no other market category like it so they had a great business model and you fast forward to last june that brand today is called kava and they went through an ipo last year and so brett their ceo tells an amazing story of their journey of being we weren't timing the market we were timing our business about scale and how we got to market at a, at a bigger scale. Everyone loved their loyalty. Everyone loved their food and their taste. And they went into the market to get access to more capital to get to more and more stores, more and more states. And that's where they fast forward today where, you know, here they are a really successful market and they're really a category leader in that Greek food. Is there a, a sort of a shock factor when you go into and talk to those sort of situations, whether it's a family-owned business or a smaller company, and they're thinking about going public, and the amount of um, financial reporting, financial dedication, the staffing—is there a shock factor to that, or is that sort of built into the process so far? I think it's a shock factor for most companies going through it. It is, there's a lot of serial entrepreneurs that start businesses and sell them off at certain phases. When you get into the IPO market, you've really entered this maturity and you got to measure twice and cut once yeah. philosophy. You don't get a second chance. And if you look back at all the IPOs that didn't exist today still or had a real good run up and then just a massive dump, every one of those have good case studies of why. I mean, you could take a massive real estate firm that did this with uh, corporate corporate uh, offices. I won't even name the company, but they had this massive run up into the market and completely have fallen off the place. Of, you know, And so I think as you go forward, businesses are going, wow, 
is this the, is this really what I want to get into? There's a maturity piece of it, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of corporate compliance with socks with investors that you have to answer to. You're no longer just the, you know, the, the small shareholders. Now you've got a whole series of new requirements. Some government, right? Some local, and then you get your own internal. You asked the question about the shock value. I think there's also this, you know, the thing about going into the public markets. Public markets are not forgiving. Um, you have the it's the ultimate showcase of credibility. You've got to you know, your numbers. Everything you're doing has to be airtight. You don't have really room to make mistakes. And so they kind of this measure twice, cut once. I mean, when you're in the public markets, you you can't make make those mistakes. So you make a restatement. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna hit your yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be very very painful. And so I, I think that's a discipline and a maturity that that is required. Um, one of the other uh, people that was up on the stage at the IPO summit was describing before they, they about six quarters before they went IPO, they were essentially practicing um, exactly how they would do their uh, investor call. They would treat it like a, yeah. uh, like a, like a shareholder call. Um, and they would do that with their, with their investors. And they, they did that stick for six quarters before they actually went public. So they could actually practice and see, oh, you know what? We, if, we, if we put this out now, we're going to have to continually talk about this. We, you know, they they use it as a way to test the message and make sure that they could get familiar with how do we talk to investors, how do we talk to public markets. That's very different. Again, there's no really you don't you don't have room to make um, mistakes on those calls. Right. So I think that's a very different uh, perspective and maturity that's required, and a very different level of readiness. And uh, and that was really I think you know it's an interesting learning for me was just how important that readiness is. And it's much more than just system readiness, technical readiness, um, communication readiness, uh, culture readiness. Like there's just, there's a lot of things that it, you know, a, a company has to be ready to go do. You might be acting like a public company for a year or two years prior to getting into the public markets today. Right, right. Yeah, I heard, heard a lot of uh, members talk about that, the, the ramp up, practicing, going through, like you said, practicing calls, doing things like that, getting all the financial reporting processes in place. So when they do go to the market, you know, there's no surprises. Yeah. One thing I want to ask, and I'm going to follow up a little about it, is that technology side, and you mentioned artificial intelligence. It is the thing now, it is what everybody's talking about and everybody's putting money into, talking about ideas. But, um, one thing you know we hear from our members is is um, they, they always come at you know being accountants and financial you know some healthy skepticism on everything and they all want to understand what the ROI is what's this going to get me and in, in the conversations they talk about what they went through um, from going from on premises to cloud what they went through you know the whole. Um, uh, the move to sustainability, the whole and, and the ROI on that, and the whole move from uh, you know just the, just the, the constant drumbeat of this is the next thing that is going to you know change the game and bring down costs. So I, mean, I got that's the question. So we 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 did I did a moderated panel um, AI for IPO readiness mm-hmm. scaling. And uh, there were a couple of really key takeaways that I'll, that, I'll, that I'll bring up. One was the consideration not to use AI as a way to just shave off a couple points off right. um, of efficiency off your SGNA. 
because that's not the right approach for it. You want to think about AI as it relates to, is this going to help me grow and grow faster? And that's, that's where it, you know, gets, it'll get reflected. Like if I can, if I can use AI as a way to grow from, instead of 10%, I can grow at 12% or instead of 12%, grow at 20%. You know, it's a, that's, that's what they want to, that's one way to think about AI. The second thing on AI is being careful, not just to get, uh, pigeonholed into just thinking about generative AI, but there are lots of, the AI family is quite, quite large. There's a lot of different use cases of AI that can be used today that can be, you know, help, help in lots of different ways in terms of preparation, in terms of data. Um, but again, it's, it, it does come back to the business problem. Like what business problems am I trying to solve? And can AI solve that? Um, I think probably the third, and this is probably the most important, which is, um, AI is not going to help drive readiness. It's not going to drive, it's not going to fix a bad process. It's not going to fix bad data. So if you have bad data, bad processes, or immaturity, AI is not going to help that. That's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really important point is to think about how do I get my, how do I build those readiness capabilities? How do I you know, drive the, the data maturity that I need? How do I put in place things like controls? I mean, all of those are, are much more related to the IP readiness piece. I need to be thinking about AI. I need to be, I need to understand it. I need to dive into the technology, but it's not the, People aren't going to be judging my valuation whether or not my finance organization is using AI to shape a point off of SGNA. That's mm-hmm. that's not where. Um, I think the proper way to coin it is that AI is super exciting as we see it, and it might distract you from the basics of your company. I think we're all using AI, whether we know it or not right. today, in all different shapes. You might go to the mapping system in your phone, and it will may map you. You might be having a buying experience in that piece of it. And then it's like, is AI helping you find the problem? Maybe. I don't know. And, and, and I think the, the one thing that comes to mind about AI is that while well, it's super exciting, how are we gonna use it in finance? I think the, the first thing I would look back to in the analogy was most finance departments have one common system everywhere. And that's called Excel. Yeah. And unfortunately, Excel is not network or secure or scalable. And so the first transformation sometimes happens is moving from Excel to a mod from a budgeting aspect of it, for instance, and moving to a, a financial planning and analysis tool in the cloud. So now we have this shareable model that we can build and repetitive, et cetera. So that's moving a process to a to the cloud. Right. Now we can start to build upon that scalability piece of it, identify the problems, et cetera. Then they're introducing is once we understand the problem, how can we fix it? Mm. I think it's not acceptable as we talk about at the conference is not to discuss AI and how it's going to relate to our business. Right. We can't be foreign to it and just ignore the AI conversation. What is your AI strategy? How are we going to adopt it internally or perhaps externally? And it's okay to have start small and chew fast on it versus having this big, you know, articulated strategy that never comes to, to market. So for a lot of companies, they want to know how to use AI. They don't know where to start or they're trying to find the problem to solve with it. And I think we're all kind of coming up with the use cases. And I, I use it from a technology side of it. We're using AI at Oracle to do a lot of things that are remedial tasks. Right. For instance, when we provision an environment, putting new hardware or an application in the cloud, it's auto populated. When we want to get into self-patching databases, we don't want human interaction, we want it automation. 
And so we're always looking at features like that. In the application, for instance, in finance, we're looking at things that say, can you identify errors or on a continuous close? Mm -hmm. So for instance, is can I move to a faster close? Mm -hmm. Well, what is your close today? And then what's the processes there? Is there some remedial tasks that could be entered in faster or produce reports faster? So I think there's a crawl, walk, run that you get into in AI is it's very daunting for these small or medium sized businesses to take a big concept and think we've got to be AI enabled tomorrow. But can you show someone today who's in a small market business, you know, think about an IPO and they ask you, I want to employ, you know, what, what was your AI strategy? How is that going to help me? Can you show them today that this is what you can do? Or is this like, say, this is a conversation, well, you know, five years down the road. And, no, there, there's absolutely things that they, we can show today that they can use. Um, Scan and capture would be a good one. Taking something like a an invoice that comes into the accounts payable department. Right. It, traditionally, they would take it, put a human would read it, and then match it into the system and rekey it and attach the file and so forth. So a real simple process like that that you might do hundreds of times a day, or if not a thousand times a month, or you know over a week, you could automate. And so AI is taking that, scanning a document corresponding it to the fields in the correct form in the system, uploading it, posting it, and then producing the auto match record that says, here's the purchase order to your accounts payable and doing that through a match for you. So that's a very basic. Are they, are they comfortable with the governance on that? Like, well, they, there's still a human involved. Okay. A human is then reviewing it hmm. as opposed to having a manually key it. Right, right, right. So I think it's, it's the notion of you're still keeping the human in the loop. Right. And I think that's an important element. Our strategy has been that is, I think it's so crazy to think about, do we take people out of the workforce right. and do this today? And maybe the first automation piece was, well, we'll move it to offshore to a low cost geo to do some of these things. To now is we don't need to move it offshore. We want to look at technology to increase productivity. The, the thought process we have is we have to interject people or humans throughout the process so that you still have the controls or checks and balances right. and not just really trust where the AI is going to get it right. Yeah. No, I could spend the next hour talking about AI, but we'll stop there. I want to wind up the conversation and this is my, you know, my old time stupid editor question. And so what, you know, there's a lot going on in the economy. There's a lot going on geopolitically. There's just a lot going on. So, like, what are your thoughts on the economy going into the rest of the year? What are your expectations? Uh, are you um, looking forward to it? Or are you squeamish? How would you describe that? I think this is a good one. We talked about it today as well. I think there's this conversation of, do you want a business model that's more realistic or hopeful? Mm -hmm. Meaning, do you want to put a business model together that you can hit that's very realistic? Or do you want to put some large growth out there that's very hopeful that you'll get to it? Maybe you'll right. miss it. From the economy aspect of it, well, there's a couple wars going on. There is the reset of the economy. Um, you have an election year coming up. For most of the financial analysts and looking at the equity markets, they've priced a lot of that already into the market, mm. meaning that what you're not going to see this year running up to the election is probably if you know a candidate A or candidate B wins the election, it probably will have little influence right. on this year. 
the policies that come out 12 or 18 or 24 months after probably will have a bigger impact at the macro level. Right. What are your thoughts? Same. I would, you know, I think it's, there was definitely a measured optimism, but embracing the optimism, thinking of there's some green shoots, but the green shoots don't mean we're going to, you know, have, you know, really change our, our forecast dramatically. You know, we are predicting, you know, single digit growth. We're not going to now suddenly, you know, double that. Right. We're thinking much more measured about, about how we communicate where we think we're going to go. And if we beat that, great, but let's not, let's not go over our seas. Great. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great. Thank you. Thank you.